Hi friends, I'm Tierney. I'm Shelby. And we're dead drunk. drunk. Oh, I miss Katie. <laughs> so hey Fine. what's up you know just chilling how was your week it was pretty it was something it was something it was a pretty pretty hectic week yeah same uh my children make me crazy and then i know it makes me sound like a mom but i'm just a teacher and like trying to get by you know yeah no kids working hard not for the kids just for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Okay. Well, I'm super excited for this episode because one of my favorite, well, okay, let me start over. If you don't know me, I am really into musical theater. It's no. <laughs> it's like really nerdy, but it's fine. Um, it's kind of my thing. Um, and we're doing a waitress themed episode this week. <laughs> oh, I love how excited you waitress are. Waitress is one of my very favorite musicals. I've seen it three times. Wow. Um, it's closing in January. Oh. Unfortunately. The first time I saw it was with Sarah Bareilles in it. If you don't know, Sarah Bareilles wrote all the music to Waitress. Love her. Um, but this episode is actually about the person who wrote the original movie of waitress because the broadway musical is adapted from a movie so adrian shelley the woman that we are covering the death of in this episode um was the writer and director and also played dawn in the movie waitress Ooh. and i actually watched the movie for the first time very recently and it was really good and you should all watch it but so for our cocktail this week. Oh, yes, girl. What are we drinking? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I should preface this with waitress. If you don't know, is about a waitress, <laughs> <laughs> but she works at a diner and she makes pies. And so throughout the movie and the musical, she starts creating pies in her head that help her kind of deal with the situations that she's going that's going on in her life and she makes them for different scenarios so when she finds out she's pregnant in the beginning um she makes a pie that's like betrayed by my eggs pie or like i don't want to have <laughs> earl's baby pie and they talk like this so you know betrayed um, by my eggs pie. yeah so she makes like themed pies that kind of like how we'd make our themed cocktails along with each case she makes a pie for like different parts of her life um and so there's a part in the movie slash musical when jenna the main waitress is making a pie for dawn which is adrian shelley's character and it's called the meet your dream chocolate cream pie and she describes it as having dark chocolate and passion fruit and so I thought maybe we could make our cocktail a meet your dream chocolate cream cocktail. Yay. So I found a recipe and we concocted it for your drinking pleasure. What you're going to do is take some passion fruit puree 
and you're going to take a fourth of an ounce of that. You're going to put that in a cup. Then you're going to add some dark creme de cacao, another half ounce of that on top. Then we add an ounce of the good stuff, which is tequila, and then top it off with some champagne, and you have a meet your dream chocolate cream cocktail. Wow, that got Jenny so excited she sat up. I know. Jenny <laughs> wants to drink some. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not getting the dog drunk. No, um, she only likes beer anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully you meet your dream chocolate cream and drink it and enjoy responsibly. Yes, and you can use it to help you get through this case. Yeah, thank you for <laughs> completing my sentences <laughs> you wanted me to say sandwiches kind of but it's okay it's okay we're not going to talk about that broadway musical because <laughs> i have some choice words for that um so i guess without further ado let's jump into the death of adrian shelley so our case this week takes place in greenwich village new york in november of 2006 wow and it's cases like these that are the reason that I have the words I did not kill myself written in like all capital letters in my if I go missing folder. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's also a case that challenges everything we believe because sometimes it's not the husband. Dun, dun, dun. I know it's crazy. I it's can't really even, crazy. I can't even believe that I'm saying those words, but sometimes it's not the husband. Okay, so Adrian Shelley was an actress and director most popular for writing, directing, and playing Dawn in the movie. Now Broadway musical waitress, which I've already said. But Yay. Say um, so after work one day in 2006, Adrian's husband, Andy Ostry, came home to no sign of her anywhere in the house. In a panic, he immediately went to her small studio where she worked, which was in an apartment complex. It was kind of just like a separate apartment that she used as her studio to get down her ideas and just like a creative space for her that wasn't their home. Mm hmm. That was smart, too, because they, they had, like, a kid, right? Yes. Okay. They had a two-year-old daughter, I believe. Yeah, you for sure need a, a space away from that for yes. creative. And, <laughs> fun fact, um, their daughter was actually in the movie of Waitress with her mom. Oh, that's so cool. At the end, yeah. Okay. So, Andy had not heard from Adrian all day, and he was able to go over to the apartment complex that her studio was in and find a maintenance man to let him into the apartment that she worked in. In the bathroom is where the man made the shocking discovery that Adrian was dead. Her neck was tangled in a bed sheet that was tied to a shower rod. And at first it looks like it could have been a suicide. It looks like she hung herself. Mm -hmm. There was no forced entry. There was no sign of a struggle, nothing. After interviewing the other people that lived and worked in the complex, police still had nothing. So... Because nobody reported any screams or any strange people or anything out of the ordinary, they just assumed that she committed suicide. Hmm. Adrian's husband, Andy, reported that there was nothing wrong with their marriage and Adrian was not depressed. Her career was better than ever as she was working on Waitress and she was about to really make it big in Hollywood. She also had a three-year-old daughter who was everything to her and was part of the inspiration behind her writing Waitress in the first place. So if you guys have seen Waitress, you know why this argument holds up. But for those of you who haven't, Waitress is about a woman named Jenna Hunterson who has an abusive husband and becomes pregnant with his child. She is 
devastated and is convinced that having this baby means that she is trapped and her life is over with this horrible man. However, the minute that she meets her baby girl, Jenna discovers the courage to leave her husband and start a new life for her and her daughter. And it's it kind of builds up over the movie and then at the end she has the baby and makes this realization that she's now immediately changed because she's never loved anything as much as she loves her child. That's and really she kind beautiful. of finds like a whole new meaning of life now that she's a mother. So if you ask me, this doesn't really sound like a woman who would take her own life. No. If she is now living for her daughter. you know, Like it's not like she's not Jenna. And you know what I mean? But. But her feelings for her daughter are the same. Right, she shares exactly. those same feelings. Exactly. That's really beautiful too. Yeah. That's great. You guys should watch it. <laughs> I'll send you the bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so after the autopsy, Adrian's death was officially ruled a suicide because there are no defensive wounds, no bruising, etc. The crime scene was completely clean and police had nothing else. And so despite the fact that Adrian wasn't depressed and had no motive behind committing suicide, they didn't really have another option. The cause of death was by neck compression. Therefore, the autopsy supported the idea of suicide. Andy, however, did not want to accept this decision, so he hired another medical examiner to do a second autopsy. He was convinced that they had to be missing something because Adrian wouldn't have done this. However, after the second autopsy, the second medical examiner determined that the original ruling was correct. He believed that there was enough evidence to support that Adrian Shelley had committed suicide. Oh my gosh. What did Andy do now? Oh, you'll see. So after examining the files on Adrian's computer, detectives also learned that she had spent a considerable time researching death. So this only supported the idea that she committed suicide. And Andy's explanation for this was she was a writer. Like she Googled everything. I mean, me too, man. I, I also Google everything. Yeah. I for sure have Googled death, but <laughs> I don't want to die. So Yeah. So he didn't think that this was any indication that she would commit suicide, but they, I mean, I guess from the perspective of a detective, you see that a woman was found in a position where it looked like she hung herself and she Googled death. Like yeah, you might just think that. The, I think uh, death is too general a term to make that assumption. You know, if somebody Googled like best way to hang yourself, that's a different story. Yeah, that's Or true. like how to create a homemade bomb. That's like, okay, that guy did it. You know, that clearly points the finger. Googling death is so generic. That's true. It's like maybe she was just looking for different ways to die or the feeling of death. I don't know. You know, I don't yeah. know what she was writing about death, but. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, so Andy still didn't believe his wife could have taken her own life and he was not about to give up on finding justice for Adrian. Good for you. He was convinced that she was murdered and he was going to get to the bottom of it no matter what he did. What a good husband. I know. Remember what I said? Like It's not always the husband. Oh, I'm excited for the supportive husband. I know. So Andy convinces the detectives to look further into her case. He is going to their office every day and is so insistent that finally one detective is like, fine, we will look further into her case. And as they start to do this, they start to realize that a few things don't really make a lot of sense. First, they notice that the knot that is tied in the sheet was not just any knot. It was a sailor's knot. So a sailor's knot is very complicated and unless you have experience sailing or doing some other kind of like tying ropes like it would be extremely uncommon to know how to tie the sailor's knot so 
Adrian probably wouldn't have known how to do this herself. Yeah, no, she for sure wouldn't have been able to tie that herself. Yeah. I can barely tie my shoes. I <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she's a writer. Like, why would she be tying sailor's knots? And so they asked Andy about this, and he was like, no, absolutely not. Like, she would have had no idea. She doesn't never sailed. Like, no. So that was the first thing. The second thing detectives realized is that the door was locked when they found her. And it wasn't dead bolted from the inside. It was as if somebody had locked it on their way out and then closed the door. That that's the key. That's something that they should have picked up the first time. Yeah. Because maybe I could understand missing the knot, but the door was locked. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't like somebody had locked themselves in it. It was as if somebody had locked it on their way out. A third thing they noticed was that there was a footprint on the toilet in the bathroom. And at first they had assumed that it was from somebody who was working on the case. There had been multiple people in and out of the apartment assessing the crime scene. But they decided that they need to run with the footprint because that's really the only physical evidence that they have that could involve somebody else. This is the NYPD is better than this. Why did they miss all of this stuff? I I think the crime scene, like there were so many people that came in. They just assumed that it was from somebody. Okay. I guess that kind of makes sense. But still. But like on the toilet, like who would have stepped on the toilet? Right. Who would have stepped on anything in the bathroom? That's the crime scene. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So detectives had every single person that was in the apartment that night that had responded to the call come in with the shoes that they were wearing. And they took a print of each person's shoes. And there was no match. So this is good and bad for detectives because now they know that somebody else had to have made the footprint. But who? Detectives started looking into other people in Adrian's life, acquaintances, family members, and her husband, Andy Austry. Even Andy? Andy wanted them to continue the investigation. Yes, but they had not checked his shoes yet. <sighs> so upon interviewing Andy, he gave the name of a man that Adrian had mentioned a strange writer in the area that they called Wannabe. <laughs> if you want to be my lover. <laughs> I don't think she meant it that way. So Andy could not give detectives his real name because he didn't know what it was. He only knew him as Wannabe. But he told them that Adrian's friend Helen would be able to give them more information. Mm-hmm. Upon talking to Helen, detectives were able to paint a picture of this Wannabe man. Helen said that he was obsessed with Adrian. He was almost a crazed fan. And he was an aspiring screenwriter himself. He would insistently ask Adrian to read the scripts that he was writing. Helen remembered a time where they were out together and Wannabe approached Adrian asking if she had read his script yet. And when he, when he realized that she hadn't, he became extremely angry with her. Helen then said that Adrian had given her the script to read and told detectives that she could give it to them if it would help them find him and it did wannabe's real name was john wellington the third oh my god they ran a background check on him and discovered that he had a resume full of extracurriculars <laughs> he was in the soho club he was in the yale club and he was in the new york yacht club oh a boy who sails i know Interesting, Uh-oh. Huh? <laughs> so detectives immediately try to track down Wellington. However, when they enter his apartment building, the man at the desk tells them he moved to France. So depending on when he left, this either rules him out as a suspect completely because he wasn't in the country or it makes him look 
very suspicious. Oh yeah, no. Who just up and leaves for France? Right. It's like John Wellington the the third. Wanna be? Yeah, wanna be. So while they're trying to get more information on him, detectives are still searching for the person that left the footprint in Adrian's bathroom. And they were taking the print to various shoe stores to see if somebody could identify what shoe could have made the print. And they search for weeks and weeks. And then eventually detectives find their match with the help of a shoe store clerk and identify that the Reebok ventilator sneaker was the one that made the print. Is that a good sneaker? It's just like a Reebok. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's like a normal sneaker. I just need better sneakers. Nothing crazy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, do, you could get a, a Reebok ventilator. <laughs> a Reebok ventilator. Yeah. At this time, another lead surfaces. The casting director from Adrian's last film comes forward and gives detectives a name of an actress who was very upset with Adrian. After not being cast in her film, she said that she was, quote, going to blow up the production. This actress went by the name of Susan Shea. Basically, she oh. thought she was going to be cast and then wasn't and then got really pissed. Mm, okay. Which, I mean, same, but, you know. (laughs) So, upon speaking with Susan, she seemed very hostile. She did not like Adrian at all, and it was apparent. She also told detectives that the day of Adrian's death was her day off, and that she was home alone. That's not a good alibi. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, because she was seemingly upset with Adrian, and because her alibi wasn't airtight, detectives came up with a scenario that maybe Susan snuck into Adrian's building and approached her in the hallway, apologizing for her outburst when she said she was going to blow up the production and was somehow able to follow Adrian into her apartment having a conversation. Maybe she asked for a piece of paper or something like that. She had, in their theory, had said that she was taking voice lessons from somebody in the building or something like that. So detectives got a headshot of Susan and they began questioning people in the building to see if maybe somebody recognized her. After going throughout the whole building with no luck, detectives decide to go look in the basement apartment that was under construction. It is there, outside the door, that they recognize something. The same Reebok footprint that was in Adrian's bathroom. Oh my gosh. So detectives obtain the information of the men that were working the construction at the downstairs apartment, and it leads them to Brooklyn. The man running the construction went by the name of Wilson Pico and the other workers all lived with him or at least spent a lot of time at his house because when the detectives arrived, the men are all sitting at the dinner table eating dinner together, like all the people from the construction. So he's just like running a, a migrant worker house yeah, in Brooklyn? Basically, he yes. just Okay. Yep. And so when detectives walk in, they immediately ask to see their shoes. And they tell the, oh, they're over there. And they look towards the door and the detectives see what they had been looking for all along. There was a backpack with a pair of Reebok ventilators sticking out. The backpack and the shoes belonged to Wilson's brother, Diego Pico. Diego Pico was about 19 years old. He was slim build and overall was a non-threatening looking person to the eye. He didn't look like a killer. But even so, detectives brought him in for questioning. When questioning Pico, at first, he denies any involvement with Adrian's death. However, Detective Rivera, who is the woman that is questioning him, decides that she's going to change course and asks Pico about his faith and about his family. She notices that Diego is holding a prayer card and she tells him that she believes in God, too. 
She said that she also believes that it's not you, but it's the people that you love that suffer for your bad choices. Do you have any kids? She asks him. He says no. Nieces? Nephews? Yes, both, he says. She finds out that he has a young niece named Tiffany, and she is three, the same age as Adrian's daughter, Sophie. Oh. Detective Rivera tells Pico that Tiffany will be the one to suffer for his mistakes, not him. And this gets him to crack. Diego Pico admits to everything. Oh my gosh. Yep. So the story that Pico originally tells Detective is that is that Adrian had been complaining of the noise from the construction in the basement and had threatened to call the cops. Pico became panicked because he was an illegal immigrant and he thought that the police would deport him if they came and found him. In this story, he kills her by accident because he kind of like freaks out and hits her and she hits her head. And then he ties her up to look like a suicide because it's something that he saw on a telenovela. Oh, so he was in the apartment and she was saying she was complaining to him about the noise. She ran down to complain and then she's like, I'm going to call the cops. And he panicked and was following her upstairs to her apartment and followed her into hers. And that's where it happened. Oh, okay. In his first story. When in the courtroom, however, Pico changes his story and he admits that he saw the door open and noticed that her purse was in there and had decided to rob her. As he was going through her stuff, however, she caught him and in a panic, he strangled her. He didn't know what to do with her body until he thought of his pigs back in Ecuador and how they used to tie them up. He used his knowledge of knots to tie her up to the shower rod and made it look like she committed suicide. It's reported that she was probably still alive when he hung her. Wow. Yeah. He really set this up like a murder mystery whodunit. Like if it hadn't been for the shoe, they would have gone after John Wellington wannabe the third. Yeah. Or they would have just said, that's a suicide. I don't know. Which they almost did. Wow. Yeah. So like, thank God, Andy Austry, like. Thank God for loving husbands. They exist, you guys. They're real. They're real. Other reports indicate that Pico had been stalking Adrian, not because she was famous, but because he was intrigued by her from the moment he saw her in the building. In this theory, it's believed that the motivation was rape and that the murder was premeditated. And many of Adrian's family members believe this story. However, Pico was charged with second degree murder, meaning that it was not premeditated in the eyes of the police. Okay. So were there, were there any signs of sexual assault? or I don't believe so. Okay. Diego Pico was sentenced to 25 years in prison without the possibility of parole. Just 25 years? Yes, because it was... um, Second degree. Yes. Oh, okay. And we want to stress that although Diego Pico was an undocumented immigrant, this is not a pattern distinct to that community. Adrian's husband, Andy, wrote a beautiful article called My Wife's Killer Was Not an Illegal Immigrant, discussing that Diego Pico is a murderer and it's not because of his race. I'm going to read a rather large chunk of this article because it's so important that we don't buy into the anti-immigrant rhetoric that exists in our society. Mm -hmm. So Andy Ostry writes in his 2016 article. So this is uh, about 10 years after his wife's death. Given the anger and grief I still feel, I could easily be seduced by Donald J. Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric that is the cornerstone of his presidential run. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, he said as he began his campaign in 2015. And in these final weeks before the election, rather than talking to the middle, he seems to be doubling down. We've got some bad hombres, he says in last week's debate, referring to the immigrants who commit crimes. And it's not just Mr. Trump. 
In the years since Adrian's murder, I've received several offers from prominent members of the conservative media, including Fox News's Bill O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly, to speak out on this issue and give legitimacy to right-wing anti-immigrant sentiments. Who better than a Democrat to attack an entire segment of our population, right? But Adrian was not murdered by an illegal immigrant, per se. She fell victim to a depraved killer who simply happened to be an undocumented immigrant. It's an obvious distinction, almost too obvious, but it's an important one to consider as the country goes further down the dangerous path of demonizing those not born here. At rallies and during the debates, Mr. Trump has painted a dark picture of an America overrun by foreign criminals who come here to rape, pillage, and murder our innocent civilians. He opposes any form of amnesty for the estimated 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the United States, taking a hardline law and order stand that has brought millions of voters to his camp. He uses murders like Adrian's, though never her specifically, fortunately, as political props. His solution includes a deportation force that would separate people from their families and, quote-unquote, send them back to wherever they came from. He later continues in the article, His reason for killing Adrian and the relatively lenient sentence he received certainly feeds Mr. Trump's xenophobic, fear-mongering narrative. But beyond the rhetoric, there's no clear cause and effect. His rationale was no different from that of an American citizen who, in the act of a crime, kills his witness— to avoid prosecution and imprisonment. Attributing his heinous act to his immigration status dilutes the more relevant truth that he lacked the ability to know right from wrong and had zero respect for human life. Yes, we have an immigration problem that is in desperate need of reform. Yes, some illegal immigrants commit crimes, some of them violent, but so do blacks, whites, Asians, Christians, and Jews. Mr. Trump often claims that the two million undocumented immigrants have been convicted of crimes, but in fact, the figure is actually 176,000, according to Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The reality is Americans have appreciably more to fear from their fellow citizens than from the undocumented immigrants. It's politically expedient for the xenophobic agitators like Mr. Trump to scapegoat the millions of foreigners who have come to the United States in search of a better life. But his malevolence towards immigrants runs counter to the principles on which our great nation was founded. It's disheartening to see so many people being swept out to sea in a riptide of ignorance and hate. America was created by, is governed by, and, with the exception of Native Americans, is inhabited by immigrants and their descendants, generations of whom came here to escape religious and ethnic persecution. That millions of people face a similar fate on our soil is deplorable. We should be thanking them as America's greatness is attributed to their blood, sweat, vision, perseverance, dedication, and brilliance. Wow, that was really beautifully written. Right? I was what like, a great guy. Because as I was doing the research for this, mm-hmm. and I found out that it was an undocumented immigrant that was the one that took her life, I was like, oh, no, because I didn't want like this podcast to... To be used to against be used. them. Exactly, yeah. because it's such a warped way of thinking. Yeah. And and we have, I was thinking while you were reading that part, if we go back and at this point we've covered, I don't know, 14 or 15 cases at this, I don't know what number this will be, <laughs> Yeah. but only two of them are African Americans and none of them are illegal immigrants. Everybody is an American citizen unless yeah. it, we haven't covered any foreign cases yet, right? No. No. So well, Canada, but well, Canada, whatever. but it's Canada. Yeah, it's fine. But 
we we do have more to fear from our neighbors than we do our foreign people. And we were immigrants. I think I can trace back three or four generations and that's it of to when I was my family was an immigrant. So, yeah. And I was thinking about this earlier because I was looking on trusty Murderpedia. Oh, we um, love you, Murderpedia. <laughs> to see like what kind of cases we want to do in the future. And I just kind of noticed how this website is broken up. And it's, it says index by country for mm-hmm. um, the murderers. And all the co- like a lot of countries are listed. And like there's Argentina. And there were nine murders from Argentina. So if you click Argentina, then it'll send you to all those murderers, right? There's Belize and Bolivia and... They each only have one murder. And then there's Canada who has 98 murders, but okay. And as you scroll down and you get to the United States, they had to break it up by state. Yeah. Because we, of how many murderers there are in the United States. Yeah, we're the worst. We have the worst people. Like, I, there's 367 murderers on Murderpedia just from California. That's That's insane. That's more than a whole other country. Like by like you could probably add up the murders from all these countries and it would be less than that. And that's just in California. And it's just like, why are we so concerned with how dangerous people from other countries are when we have this problem in our own country? Yeah. Any anybody can be dangerous. It doesn't matter where they come from. It's. Well, it can matter where they come from, but that just matters for their mental state. It doesn't matter what race they are. Your race doesn't have any bearing on whether or not you're going to murder people. Yeah. And like Donald Trump is so concerned with Mexico. On Murderpedia, there's 18 murderers listed from Mexico. That's it. So why is he thinking that they're all coming from Mexico if we have this many already in our country? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, we're good on murderers. Like we don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't. We don't need any more murderers. We could use. Just some more help with like <laughs> politics, Poli- our system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a lot of things, and like we can blame our own people for the reason that there are so many murders. Yeah, you, know? you don't have to look outside. We we got enough problems. Yeah, that's like me going like, oh, it's your fault. I'm depressed. No, but that's <laughs> probably my fault. It's probably on me. Yeah. So shout out therapy. <laughs> <laughs> And this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. No, <laughs> no, it's not. But like, hit us up. It could be sponsored by oh, I forgot his name. There's like a little AI bot that you can actually just like he'll just message you and be like, "How you doing today?" And then you can like pick a face. Smarter and child. No, no. What? <laughs> Remember Smarter Child on AIM? No. Are you joking? I have no. I don't know what I didn't do. You it. didn't do AIM. No. AOL Instant Messenger. You didn't have an AIM. Come on. I might have. I don't remember AIM. Okay, so. I had a MySpace for sure. All right. Well, yeah, we all had MySpace, right? But I loved the that. The thing when I was in middle school was Instant Messenger. And you, I had a, my first screen name was like Tierney90210. <laughs> and you could like set your picture and your font. Oh, that was you. And you're like away messages. You could say like when you were away and it would say like a quote. Oh, I did have one. Cause I remember that. Cause I would set an away message that was like, I'm flying to another country. I don't know. <laughs> I was just making something up. Yeah. But there was a bot that you could like add on instant messenger and they were called smarter child. And people always used to just like fuck with smarter child and like send them messages and they would respond to you. It's kind of like a robot. Oh, no. This thing is called... I, I forget the name of it. You could probably just Google, like, 
therapy oh, AI. I'm Googling smarter child. Therapy. Okay. But he's he's just a little AI bot that would message you and be like, how are you feeling today? And if it was like a sad face, he would like give you something that'll make you feel better or tell you that your day is going to turn around. Just like a little boost for your feelings. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. He was super cute. So today's message is not all immigrants are murderers, uh, but most Americans are. And that's... <laughs> yeah. That's today's message. We love that. Thank you for coming to our TED Talk. Yeah, right? All right, so please follow us on our Instagram at Dead Drunk Crime. We post all of our drink recipes there. We post cool videos. We post memes. We love memes. We post... Sometimes we post teasers of our episodes. We post pictures of the victims and the suspects and all of that cool stuff. And sometimes pictures of us and, and my dog. Yeah, definitely pictures of Jenny. Please tag us if you decide to recreate any of our cocktails. We would love to see what you come up with. Mm-hmm. You can go to our website for our sources and for other information about the cases that we cover. It is deadrunkcrime.home.blog. You can also email us case suggestions if you have something that you want us to either discuss or cover or anything like that uh, to deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll do it. And we have merch. I will put the link in the show notes. It's also on our Instagram, in our bio. You can buy our logo on stuff, hats. Uh, shirts, sweatshirts. It's uh, cool. Sweatshirts. Mason jar cup so that you could drink your cocktails out of it while you're listening. Which is perfect. Sweatshirts and mason jars, perfect for the fall. Yeah. Get them while they're hot. Exactly. (laughs) And we have a special caboose today because of Waitress. Um, There's a song that the character that Adrian Shelley plays in the movie sings in the musical and I decided to sing it for you. So um, here we go. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom. I stick with the real things, usually facts and figures. When information's in its place, I minimize the guessing game. Guess what? What? I don't like guessing games, so when I feel things, before I know the feelings, how am I supposed to operate if I'm just tossed around by fate? Like on an unexpected date With a stranger who might talk too fast Or ask me questions about myself Before I've decided that He could ask me questions about myself He might sit too close Or call the waiter by his first name Or eat Oreos But eat the cookie before the cream But what scares me the most What scares me the most Is what if when he sees me what if he doesn't like it? What if he runs the other way and I can't hide from it? What happens then if when he knows me, he's only disappointed? What if I give myself away to only get it given back? I couldn't live with that. So I'm just fine. Inside my shell-shaped mind this way I get the best view So that when he sees me I want him to 
Dawn, don't you think you're being a little... I'm not defensive! I'm simply being cautious. I can't risk reckless dating due to my miscalculating why. A certain suitor stands in line. I've seen in movies, most made for television. You cannot be too careful when it comes to sharing your life. I could end up a miserable wife. <laughs> Sorry, girls, but he could be criminal. Some sort of psychopath who escaped from an institution somewhere where they don't have girls. He could have masterminded some way to find me. He could be colorblind. How untrustworthy is that he could be less than kind? Or even worse, he could be very nice, have lovely eyes, and make me laugh, come out of hiding. What do I do with that? Oh God, what if when he sees me, I like him and he knows it? What if he opens up a door and I can't close it? Someone who, when he sees me, wants to again. 